0: This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. No people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the
1: ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cattillo and Sean McAdam. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to the Fenway Rundown Podcast, Mass Lives Red Sox show. I'm Chris Catillo here with Sean McAdam. The lovely, intrepid Chris Smith is in Baltimore for the final four games of the Red Sox season. As they continue limping to the finish line, Sean and I are done watching Red Sox baseball with our very eyes for uh, at least a few months here after covering this homestand, and a homestand that... Um, did not go particularly well with for a Red Sox team that has now clinched last place. They've clinched a losing record with their 82nd win and uh, lost four out of five to the White Sox and Rays. I don't think a ton of people were watching, but we were there. Uh, the crowds were actually not bad. Thank Barbie for that. Um, but this team has limped to the finish line here. We will start there. We'll talk a little bit about um, some of the things that have gone on the last few days, few weeks. And then get into starting to preview, you know, free agency at least on, on the Red Sox end of things. Their pending free agents that they do have. So Red Sox are seven and seventeen in September, Sean. I think you've used a word in conversations with me in the press box. Used a phrase, mailing it in. Um, I just don't think that they have. Uh, they really have uh, put their uh, best foot forward in terms of trying to end on a high note here, and I, I believe you agree with that.
0: Yeah, I do. I I mean, and we we preface all of this with the fact that they are not, as is the case with many teams down the stretch, playing at full strength. Uh, They are without Tristan Casas, um, one of their best run producers. Uh, They have had a very limited Justin Turner for the last few weeks with his heel injury that has undoubtedly reduced his ability to play and his overall effectiveness. Uh, there are various other injuries that have limited guys. So we have to take that into account. And still, uh, the fact that this team, I think, is now 10 and 24, I think it is, since the middle of August is not a good sign. And frankly, it's the second year in a row, although last September, they were, I think, a game under 500 in September and then two and three in October. So they were relatively competitive down the stretch, but this is the second straight year where it's kind of gone downhill in August for them. And, uh, they have not been able to reverse that slide. And and I'd say that's troubling. Uh, they can say all the right things about competing to the end and still owe it to the fans to put the best lineup on the field and still compete. And these guys have pride, but it's not showing up in the results last night wednesday night was the third time they'd been shut out this month alone and look at some of the scores uh against some of the quality teams still in contention in september there's a lot of one-sided games part of that of course is the fact that the starting rotation which has been an issue all year long uh has gotten even worse of late whether it's fatigue or end of the year or whatever it is the pitching has not kept them in games but It's a little disconcerting to see how much and how badly they've been outplayed for the final last five or six weeks.
1: Yeah, and I think my point here is that, you know, the record is going to be the record, right? I've said this before, but like this team is going to be better than a team that's going to finish, you know, with a split 78 and 84, which is where they were last year, right? Like they the record is going to be a little bit worse than what the product was throughout the year, just because September has been. You know, so bad. At the end of the day, you win as many games you win, you lose as many games you lose. But um, I think that that is going to, um, you know, when you look back, be like, oh, damn, the team only won seventy seven games, seventy eight games, whatever it ends up being, when they really were, you know, competitive for four months. So a little bit of a um, a black mark on them down the stretch. And I think you know the more concerning thing to me is on an individual basis, the way a few of these guys are ending their seasons. Brian Bayo clearly hit a wall. Has been. You know, last week in Texas was horrible. Last night against the Rays was uh, pretty bad. Uh, I know the Rays are good, and they kind of killed them with a lot of singles and all that type of stuff. Last night's effort to me was kind of one of the um, you can just see uh, once the bad offense starts, it doesn't stop, contagious, and not a lot of competitive at bats. The number to me that stands out, you know, sixteen strikeouts, two walks. That's not a very competitive showing by the offense. And the other guy who, you know, this week had a horrendous outing was Tanner Houck. Uh, He called it terrible. He was right. He'll have one more to try to enter the offseason on a high note after a pretty bad year. um, There's just a lot of pieces that are like, well, they've checked out and they want to go home. And after Sunday's game in Baltimore, they will get a chance. We'll talk about a couple more uh, topics before we move on and start talking about the free agents. Um, Something that came up yesterday Alex Gora saying, I will be back as the manager, which we pretty much assumed and knew was the case, um, but seems like he's gotten, uh, you know, at least uh, that um, vote of confidence from ownership. Not that they'd ever tell us um, the coaching staff, a different story. And I know you wrote about this yesterday. Uh, they have not made any decisions. They're kind of in a weird boat because they don't have Bloom's replacement in place yet. Uh, how do you view the coaching staff as we head down the stretch in these final four games?
0: Yeah, I, I thought it was a little strange that Corus said uh, quite definitively that he's going to be back. Uh, that seemed to suggest that no matter who they hire as their, call it what you will, general manager, president of baseball, ops, chief baseball officer, whatever title that person gets, uh, it, it is now assumed, although Corr Corpav- provided no detail or contact, that ownership and upper management in the person of Sam Kennedy, president and CEO, has uh, guaranteed that Cora will stay on. I find that a little unusual. I think that the vast majority of people that they talk to about this opening would probably be inclined to keep Alex Cora on the job. He's got one year left on the contract. Um, Cora's reputation as a Uh, as an in-game manager, as a strategist, as a communicator, remains strong throughout the industry. And I think most incoming executives would choose to stay with him at least for 2024, maybe evaluate how they work together, decide on an extension, depending on how things go. But the fact that that's essentially being dictated to the executive is, to me, a little strange. Mm -hmm. As is the idea because of the calendar and where we are, that a lot of that coaching staff is going to be uh, made up uh, or, or determined by decisions other than the person coming in to run the show. We're going to have people like Brian O'Halloran and uh, Eddie Ramiro and Raquel Ferreira and, uh, uh, you know, others in baseball ops, maybe even Sam Kennedy making decisions on which coaches are coming back and which aren't. That, too, is taking the traditional power that a general manager, a new executive would have in coming into a job. He might want a clean house. He might want to bring in people that he's worked with before. He might have an idea for a manager. Whoever takes that job has already been told or will soon be told, by the way, Alex Corr is your manager and Eight of the 10 coaches are coming back or seven of the nine or whatever it turns out to be. You and I have speculated that there could be changes on that coaching staff. I think that's almost certain to be true. I think Dave Bush, the pitching coach, who's been there a number of years, is definitely in the line of fire here. Uh, For the second straight year, the Red Sox are going to finish with the staff ERA in the bottom third of baseball Uh, They are, I think, currently 21st in ERA after being 23rd or 25th last year. Um, But the numbers are not pretty. There have been uh, not a lot of progress made by some of the guys who should be in the prime of their career. Garrett Whitlock and Tanner Hauck, whom you referenced earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. And that may not reflect well on Dave Bush and his job security. Uh, Offensively, Peter Fatsy, I think, is probably safe because... The Red Sox are a top 10 team when it comes to run score. That's probably as old-fashioned as it may be. That's probably the best indication of the quality of an offense. But a lot of the situational hitting has not been great. The team has struggled mightily at times with runners in scoring position. So maybe there's a fresh approach there. But uh, I, as I said, uh, you know, I don't like speculating on people's job security or recommending that they lose their jobs. That's not what we should be doing, but I think you and I have heard throughout the game, uh, a number of people suggesting that Dave Bush uh, could be on thin ice
1: here. Yeah. And I I think, you know, there's um, last year when they had a similar finish, they didn't make any changes to the coaching staff that they, you know, wanted to Uh, will Venable left uh, on his own to go to Texas and they they, you know, Flip things around where Ramon Vasquez went to be the bench coach and they hired Kyle Hudson, who I think they like as the outfield instructor, base running instructor, all that type of stuff. Uh, uh, to me, I separated into the guys who are clearly Cora's guys, Carlos Fables, Ramon Vasquez, and Andy Fox, I think as you wrote yesterday, and Jason Veritek in A League of His Own um, for what he's meant to the organization. But those are like Cora's guys, the guys he's always around, his buddies. Um, and then it seems like there's, you know, some of the other guys who don't have that close relationship, and of course the one calling the shots could pay for that. Pete Fatsy, I think, you know, I think you, you think he's safe. To me, the offense has disappeared for stretches a lot of times throughout the year. You know, and they've come out and they've had some, you know, great series, some great weeks, but it hasn't been consistent. Um, you know, you can't blame the coach for all that. A lot of that's personnel. So that'll be interesting in the next couple of weeks. I think the big takeaway from the Cora coaching staff talk is further confirmation that Alex Cora has so much power in this organization right now. Um, yeah. The managers here and whoever's coming in as the GM or whatever gets to, has to have him. It's not their choice. And it just shows you how ownership feels. And I don't think that's again, revelatory or anything like that, but it just is more proof of that theory. We've had one last thing no. we get to You have a point. No, just, I, I think you're right.
0: It, it, it's the, fir- it's the firmest, and most obvious indication uh, of how secure Cora is. I, I mean, do we get to a point where he gets a contract extension here before they hire um, a, a new executive? I, I, I don't know that that's on the table, but I guess at this point, given his standing and how we feel ownership feels about him, I guess
1: I couldn't rule out that potentiality. Right, and I think another way to look at this is the way Cora talks about his future, you know, even just in passing, talking about Terry Francona a couple of days ago. And we talked to Alex, or I talked to Alex on the pod last week, and he kind of said this himself I, I don't want to do this for 23 years. Like in his head, his future is entirely his decision. And clearly, the Red Sox have empowered some of that behind the scenes where they like him. And again, I don't think it's a lifetime deal necessarily, but I think it's not that far off. You know, like I yeah, think he's I've, got. I,
0: I, I think the, the reference to Terry Francona is apt here because although he was there in Cleveland longer than Cora has managed in Boston, the understanding that we, that, that Francona had with the guardians ownership in front office was you can do this job as long as you want. I don't know that we're quite there with Alex Cora and the Red Sox, but it seems we're getting closer. In your mind, does he deserve that? I don't think so. And That doesn't mean that I don't think he's a good, excuse me, major league manager. He is. Uh, We, we, we both seen that both in 2018 and 2021. And frankly, in other years when things didn't go well, um, he may have uh, stopped them from getting worse, but we are looking at a situation now where he has had two consecutive last place finishes. um, And while Uh, The argument could be made that he wasn't provided enough major league talent for much of the last two years and there wasn't enough help coming at the deadline. Uh, And this is a point I talked about with you at the start of the season. It's okay for managers to get more out of players than they should. And I'm not sure that we've seen a lot of that from Alex score the last two years. Mm. Uh, Yes, things could have been worse. But I think you can also look at individual performances by players and general team performance and said it shouldn't have been this bad in this category or this area for this length of time. So while I still think he has a good reputation and it's deserved to me, he's not infallible and he shouldn't be uh, treated as, you know, manager for life or manager for as long as he wants to be here.
1: Yeah, and I think that that, again, is how ownership does view them. One more point in the Reds, 2023 Red Sox before we move on to some of the free agent guys. 39-42 and 42 at Fenway Park. Some real low points came. There's the Kyle Bearclaw game, um, obviously, against the Astros that stretch, which sunk the season, losing five out of six to the Dodgers and Astros. Now, those are good teams. You know, you can expect some losses to them. They did get swept by the Pirates and the Cardinals. They lost two of three to the Reds, the Rockies, the White Sox, if you want to count that, this week. They were swept by the Blue Jays in a very key early August series at home. There was a lot of low points. There was a lot of high points throughout the season, but I feel like the lowest of the low came at Fenway Park. Alex Corey yesterday pretty interestingly saying he's devised a plan where they're going to work out more on the JetBlue Park field, which of course is a Fenway Park replica to try to work on the angles, base running, defense, all that type of stuff. Um, Sean, you've covered a lot of Red Sox teams that were absolutely dominant at Fenway at their best. And we've seen that in the past with playoff teams. They they use Fenway to their advantage. They build a team that you know can uh, makes a lot of sense at Fenway. Um, What does a thirty nine and forty two record at home mean? Well, there are certainly holes, and there are
0: things that have to be improved. Not the least of which is the defense. Um, And I commend Core for saying that that's going to be a focus again next spring. But I think you and I also recognize that that was a focus this past spring. Mm -hmm. We saw more defensive drills, more infield drills, more PFP, um, more instances of them spending time on fundamentals in Fort Myers. So I will give Cora that much credit. I don't want to make it sound like he's completely responsible for this disaster of a season. I, I think he did highlight and identify. Some things that needed to be worked on, and they did do them not only in spring training but along the season. Uh, there were times when we showed up at the ballpark early, and there were guys taking extra infield, uh, with Andy Fox, uh, excuse me, with Carlos febles with Alex Cora present. Um, but there also comes a time where talent is talent, and the, the idea that you're going to turn Rafael Devers into a gold glover. Uh, with some extra work in Fort Myers in February or March uh, is to me the height of naivete uh we we know that Devers can be better than he was this year uh because we saw it last year when he was closer to league average and certainly Mm -hmm. an acceptable defender at third uh that was not the case this year um and yet there was time put in my point being that you know uh as Bill Parcell says You know, you are what your record says you are. And I think when it comes to players and their defensive ability at the major league level, while improvement can be made, after a while, players tell you who they are. And the fact of the matter is that this roster has some seriously flawed defensive players. And I'm not sure that's going to change with extra work in Fort Myers.
1: And that, you know, will be probably a focus of the next chief baseball officer, GM, baseball czar, whatever they're going to call him. her to come in and fix that you know i think trevor's story gives you a plus defender at short alex verdugo when he tries and if he's on the team and right field connor wong behind the plate other than that as we've talked about left field bad center field probably below average um third base below average first base below average second base generally disastrous and so um you know that's a lot of places where you can easily upgrade yep. and um and clearly that'll yeah, be one the focus. two holes
0: around the diamond that's one thing. But when you're naming four or five key positions that are sub-average, that's a major sticking point.
1: Yeah, agreed. All right, let's move on to the second part of the show um, where we will talk about kind of the pending free agents the Red Sox have and um, the expectations on if they'll be back or not. These are not our official off-season predictions because we're not at that point yet on September 28th, but still going to get into some of these guys. Some of these discussions will be extremely quick. Let's do one right now. The Red Sox have an $11 million player uh, club option on Corey Kluber. Sean, will that be exercised? No. Okay, great. That's done. So that uh, turned out to be one of the worst deals of Bloom's tenure. I'm going to guess Corey Kluber never pitches again. He probably shouldn't. That was just an, uh, an abject disaster all around. Yeah. I, I mean, I spoke to him briefly
0: a couple of weeks ago in St. Pete at Tropicana Field where it looked like he was getting closer to coming back and making an appearance at the end. I kind of wanted to see, uh, you know, is is this, what's behind this? Is this kind of you wanting to finish your career healthy and make at least one or two more starts? And he insisted that he hadn't thought about the offseason, hadn't thought about his future. Who knows if that's true or not? I, I got no indication that he was definitively leaning toward retirement. I think he might try to pitch again elsewhere, obviously, he's going to have to take a very small major league deal or even a minor league deal for that to happen. Given how poorly he pitched, if he wants to continue, that's his call. I got the sense that he's not completely done. We'll see, but I think it's safe to say he is done in Boston.
1: He also went home like a week later, right? Like that's kind of weird.
0: Yeah, it is. So, And, and sort of runs counter to the reputation he had in that clubhouse as a guy that was very willing, and I'm not suggesting this is a false depiction of him, but a guy who was very helpful to younger pitchers. Garrett Whitlock spoke glowingly of him and the contributions and help he offered earlier in the season. Um, so who knows what that signifies, but it does run counter to his reputation as being a good teammate, a guy who's around to help and offer any guidance that he can. All strange that he that he
1: left. Next up, Joeli Rodriguez. Uh, there's a little confusion here if he's arbitration eligible, if he's still under control, if they decline the option, but they're going to decline the option. Four and a quarter million for a guy that barely pitched this year. I think generally Heimblum 0 for 2 on the two lefties he brought in to really be um, you know, big-time bullpen pieces. Blyer was horrible. Joeli barely pitched. He looked actually okay during one of the stretches when he was healthy, but he's been on the injured list list the entire year. something the Red Sox could have seen coming because his physical uh, caused them to rework the deal a year ago, and you know, shoulder and all sorts of different things going on there. I mean, maybe maybe he comes back uh, as a non roster guy. I think heading into next year we both have identified you know left-handed relief help as an area they should go for, maybe get a stud to go with Bernardino. Um, I don't think they can really rely on Chris Murphy or Brandon Walter. go get a veteran there and then all of a sudden the bullpen will be pretty good. The other guy we'll mention very, very quickly. Uh, Adalberto Mondesi did not play a game for the Red Sox. The mystery man, uh, all that stuff. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they work out a minor league deal with him to bring him back because he's rehabbed with them. They're familiar with him. Maybe he values that. Who knows what you get. But at this point, you know, why the hell not? Yeah,
0: I mean, it'll be no commitment at all on their part, but I, I agree. It wouldn't shock me to see them come to some deal to, a, you know, to the major league minimum or even a minor league deal on a make good deal in camp. Uh, but it's not unlike, although this, uh, the, the the player I'm about to mention is more accomplished. It's a little bit like James Paxton where you've put the money in uh, uh, you've, you've gotten this player back closer to full health. We still don't have a good indication of where Mondesi is physically, but presumably he'll be better off now than he was uh, back when he came to camp. So given the fact that they have a gaping hole at second base, and if he can play Montesey is an intriguing guy with athleticism, with speed and great defender skills, um, you know, for the cost of 800 grand or so, maybe it's worth bringing him back.
1: The three guys who are legitimate contributors to the 2023 Red Sox, who will be free agents, uh, one, one, very important one and two kind of bit pieces. We'll start with the guy you just mentioned in James Paxton. Paxton will be a free agent after um, the season. He comes with uh, no um, restrictions options. He will be free once again. Uh, let me pull it up real quick. The season he had was uh, pretty good for the first half, pretty bad for the second half and ended prematurely due to injury. The Red Sox get 96 innings out of him, a four 5 ERA. Somewhat similar to Chris Chris Sale uh, with, you know, uh, as we've talked about, Paxton showed at 34 that the ceiling is still high. First half, he was, as Cora said, one of the better pitchers in baseball. He was the Red Sox best pitcher for, you know, really May, June, part of July. It seems like he um, likes it here. It just comes down to me. Are the Red Sox willing to kind of run it back with a rotation of question marks after doing that for so long? You've talked and written about the importance of innings eaters. To me, you know, a guy we talked about the other day in the cafeteria, Lucas Giolito is a guy that might make more sense than a James Paxton. Maybe if the price is right, I just see maybe another team going to a place where the Red Sox don't want to go. So I'm going to guess at this point that he's not back.
0: Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't slam the door shut in. Entirely, uh, I'd give it about a 10% chance that Paxton comes back.
1: I'd go a little higher than that, but okay.
0: But I think um I I think uh as you noted, I'm big on them getting some certainty of not having rehabbing guys in their mid-30s coming back and being pieces that they have to depend on, I guess, as a depth piece. Um, if they considered him a six starter. And went in with the expectation, "Hey, if we get 125 innings out of him, we'd be happy." But it can't be anybody that they can count on uh, w- with any degree of certainty. So I'm going to say no, he does not come back.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of how I feel on it too. And obviously the rotation a huge a question mark. Bayo we can put in there. Crawford we can probably put in there. And then from there, as we talked about, question marks about Sale in terms of health, and then Pavetta. Um, Whitlock and Houck in terms of role. And so um, that's what they got. But obviously, changes will be coming. Guy I wrote about today, talked to yesterday, a guy that both of us will say have really, really enjoyed covering. One of the nicer guys, I think, that's come through the Red Sox clubhouse in the last couple of years. Uh, Adam Duvall had, I think, (laughs) looking at the numbers last night as I was writing this, like, a better offensive year than he's had at any point in his career, kind of OPS-wise. And if you look at some of the metrics, that being said, only 89 games. He did strike out a ton, um, but he has an 844 OPS, 249, 21 homers, 58 RBIs. There were stretches the first 10 days of the season, a stretch in August where he carried the offense. There were stretches where he literally went over 17 with 14 strikeouts. Very boomer bust. I think, you know, average is not great in the outfield. Seems like a corner guy. I'll give my thoughts in a second that I wrote about today, but your thoughts on the return of Adam Duvall, who's on the end of his one year, $7 million deal here?
0: Yeah, I would say probably unlikely. Um, although he might fit in. Uh, th- there's so much that we don't know about the makeup of that outfield next year. Mm-hmm. Is Masataka is Yoshida a full time outfielder? Or um, if they don't do some other things, is he going to see more time at DH? Do they retain Alex Verdugo or trade? Him with a year of control left. Do they trust um Abreu abreu uh and um you know some of the young guys that have come up, Sedan Rafaela? Are they thought of as everyday players for 2024? Is Jaron Duran? We're going to assume he's healthy and ready to go. But there's a lot of mix and match out there, a lot of combinations they can come up with. And because of that, it seems difficult to see how they could give Duvall the kind of money he'll probably be looking for and the playing time that he wants. He wants to be, you know, more of an everyday presence. Um, I think you and I have talked about how he would be a nice extra guy, a fourth outfielder, backup first baseman. He's played there some in the the past. Maybe if he got some work in spring training, he could play 25 games there, give them a right-handed option to pair with Casas. There's a lot to like there. You talked about his numbers. You you uh, stretch those out over a full year, and he's at thirty and ninety five or so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's not to be dismissed out of hand. We know that he has uh, a good approach and swing for Fenway. I just think that there are so many moving pieces; it's hard to see how they could guarantee him being an everyday fixture. And I think that's what he expects and wants to do at this point.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I think the the one way to do it is you trade Alex Verdugo, um, probably. You know, and and you're not, or you know, maybe they package either a Breu or Rafaela in a trade for pitching, and all of a sudden, you know, it gets lighter. I, I could see them DFAing Rob Refsnyder before his extension even kicks in, and maybe you have Duvall as your, you know, right-handed outfielder, lefty masher guy. There's just a lot would have to happen, a lot would have to shake out. He's not a natural fit with all the guys who are under control, and so with that, I would say unlikely on him. This is the the big one, the guy we've talked about previously, um, before on the show. Uh, Justin Turner. Uh, I know you wrote about him last night as uh, he got an ovation from Fenway fans, which is a nice moment after a year. He's had, we said the other day, we both think he's the MVP of the 2023 Red Sox. Um, We'll see how, um, you know, that voting among the rest of the baseball writers chapter in Boston plays out. But Justin Turner's contract situation looks complicated. It's really not. He has a option to return for, um, I believe it's 13.4 million next year, which would be uh I think a pay cut from what he got this year. Cause I think he got, or, uh, it's complicated, whatever. Uh, yeah, I think he was, well,
0: he earned a million dollars in incentives
1: for right. plate appearances. Right. Um,
0: I think he made, I think the base was fourteen three, and he made another million. So yes, he'd be, he'd be taking a pay cut, but more to the point, given the kind of year he had, he'd be coming back for a one year deal, which he knows on the open market, he can better.
1: Right, and uh, so he will be declining his player option, which really comes down to a six million dollar decision. Um, right, let, Chris, let, let's
0: let's spell that out a little bit because it's a little complicated. Okay, you mentioned thirteen point four million. If he declines that option, they owe him half of that as a buyout. So by saying no uh, and going out onto the market, as you have uh, phrased it, he is sacrificing icing or leaving only 6.7 million on the table. We, I think we both agree that he is going to get 16, $17 million a year for two years, someplace it's inconceivable, not that he could come back, but it's inconceivable that he would opt into that player option.
1: Yeah. And so he will be a free agent. That's the moral of the story here. The next part we'll talk about, he cannot receive a qualifying offer from the red Sox because he, declined one from the Dodgers in 2016, so they can't offer him. I think it's going to be 20 and a half million this year. um, The one year deal at that rate to come back. I think that would be, they they would have, and they would have been fine if he said yes. Um,
0: And the fact that they can't is going to cost them a draft pick. You know, they could have gotten a uh, sandwich pick after the second round being under the CBT this year. Um, Instead, they will get nothing if he declines. In fact, they'll owe him still Almost seven million dollars, and not get a pick if he goes elsewhere.
1: Which that's what they signed up for a year ago. Yeah, they, you know, and he they gave he gave him everything they wanted for a year. So basically, the easy ways to wrap him to to get him back would be the option not going to happen, a qualifying offer not going to happen. So now he's just a straight up free agent with no draft pick attached, which is going to help his value on the open market. We've talked about this before does it make sense to bring this guy back as a primary DH when you want to have Masataka Yoshida, maybe take some of those at bats or Rafael Devers do that. Or if Adam Duvall's back in the mix, have him Tristan do that. Kansas. Right. There's a lot of uh, DHs on the roster with that being said, and knowing that Turner gets six or seven offers last year, it just, to me seems like he's going to get more money to go elsewhere. He's enjoyed his time in Boston was a great one year signing, but, maybe doesn't fit the roster moving forward as well as he did this year. My prediction, just like on Duval and Paxton, is that he walks.
0: Yeah, I've come around to thinking that. I thought that maybe they could come to some sort of agreement. And I think the Red Sox will be aggressive in trying to retain him. I could see them offering uh, two for 32, two for 33 or four, maybe go up as high as the mid to even high 30s. Um, but um Uh, I I think that that's probably uh, not going to do it. Uh, We know that he likes it here, but this is also probably his last deal. He'll play at 39 next year. Um, So uh, I I, I think somebody will recognize uh, now that the DH is in both leagues and that you can have him do that for the majority of his games and also get the benefit. Uh, He also – you know, think about this in enhancing his value. He made it clear to other teams that he can come into a new situation and be a leader right away because he and did produce. it here and produce. Right. I mean, that that's the big part of the deal. But if teams are wondering, well, everyone says he has this great intangible of leadership and a great guy to have in the clubhouse, but... It takes a while for guys to be able to exert that when they're coming to a new team. He's the exception to that. He's proven he can do it here right away. He did it here. So that's only going to enhance his value. And my guess is somebody gets silly and gives him two years for 40 and the Red Sox do the right thing and say, as much as we liked having him, uh, we don't want to go that far.
1: Those decisions will be coming up uh, and the person making them. We do not know who that is yet, but we will be, Getting into that and much more. Tuesday, we will have Red Sox president and CEO Sam Kennedy on the Fenway Rundown. Looking forward to that as the Red Sox wrap up their season this weekend. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.